this is Michelle. Welcome back to Not Your Mana. As I mentioned in the previous episode, my church has asked me to listen to the sermon on Sunday and then respond throughout the week with some various nuggets of thought. And so I have compiled them and put them together here to share with you. So you might want to read Acts 2 to get a little bit of context, um, or I will explain it along the way. If you don't know, Acts 2 is about Pentecost among some other things. So here we go. Let's do it. Hey there, this is Michelle, and I have a couple thoughts for you today out of Acts 2. And I just want to like circle back and look at the timeline of how this happened. So um, Jesus dies on Passover then he raises on the following Sunday, which is a feast called the Day of First Fruits, which maybe we'll talk more about later. And then he, so it's obviously resurrected, and then he starts appearing to people. So um, for 40 days. So we know he appears to the disciples, up to 500 people. There's some discussion about that. And then so for 40 days, he does that. And then he goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and he ascends into heaven. And he had instructed his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until I show up. So they waited for 10 days until when Pentecost happened. Now, 10 days is a long time when you're waiting. Um, one of my babies was 10 days late. So if you want to know what waiting for 10 days for something you really want to happen is like, I could tell you someday. But they waited for 10 days and then Pentecost happened. And Pentecost is also a Jewish holiday, which more on that later, if you'd like to hear. But, um, but it's interesting that this happens on a Jewish holiday. So then the Holy Spirit shows up and then the Holy Spirit goes viral and Peter goes out onto the southern steps of the temple and preaches a sermon that cuts 3,000 people to the heart and they go, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And says 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Well, I think it's pretty amazing that, like, if I had to figure out how to give a sermon that would bring 3,000 people to the Lord, that would be, <laughs> that'd be really overwhelming. Um, and obviously that is not possible apart from the acts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I love about what Peter did here is, is that it didn't sound like he wrote, it's, this is not a pre-scripted sermon. This is just the overflow out of Peter's heart and out of what the Holy Spirit can do when it's living in you. Like Jesus is alive and living in him now via the Holy Spirit. And he gave this crazy sermon that just rocked the hearts of the people. One thing that I think is interesting is why is it that when Jesus was walking around for those 40 days, why didn't he give this sermon? Why didn't the 3,000 people come to know God when Jesus was there? Why was it that Jesus left, told them to wait, and then he shows up and does this deal through Peter? Why is that? Why did like Jesus not just do it? Like sometimes I find myself begging. I'm like, Jesus, can you do that? Jesus, can you do that? And 
how often is the answer actually by the power of my spirit? What if I want to do it through you? What if his partnership with us is more important? What if the power of the Holy Spirit through us is actually what he was trying to get across? Because I really think like, if let's just pretend for a minute that somewhere in those 40 days, Jesus had told them like, hey, at some point there's going to be a sermon that's, that's going to bring 3,000 people to their knees and they're going to fall in love with me. Like, I'm sure that they were like, great, Jesus, you do that. And he's like, actually, you're going to do that. Like, they would just be like, no, surely it's a better plan if you do. And I think maybe we underestimate the spirit and we have to underestimate the power of the spirit. So I think it's interesting that he was there for 40 days. And, you know, it doesn't say a lot about what he did or what that was like. or, um, But we do know that they waited for 10 days, which is hard. It is hard to wait on the Lord. And then when the Holy Spirit showed up, they knew him and they trusted him and crazy things started to happen. This is the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit, which I think I actually prefer that title. I'm like, this book is about what the Holy Spirit did in and through them. And I think it's just another example of it doesn't always happen the way we think it's going to happen. The way that I would have scripted this story is so different than how God scripted the story. And the Holy Spirit came after 10 days of waiting and I would have just wanted Jesus to do it. And I would have just wanted him to set all of the stages and do all of the things. And yet, Jesus goes, that's just not my plan. Sometimes God's plan is different than our plan. And what does it look like when we surrender into that plan and just follow the spirit where he's leading? Like Peter that day when he like left the upper room and was walking to the southern steps and there was a crowd of people. and What was he thinking? In my experience, I would say as a preacher that I go, my guess is he was really aware of the feeling of the power of the Spirit inside of him and this feeling of that the Holy Spirit was going to say and do something. And this is obviously the very first moment that's happening to him. And I think he's got to be going, oh my gosh, what was in Jesus is now alive and living in me. Like there's that verse in John 14 and it says, where Jesus goes, um, I, because they're kind of like, how will we know who the spirit is? And he says, he says, you will know him because he is with you, wink, wink, and will be in you. Like, I think he's saying like, you will know the Holy Spirit because wink, wink, it's me. Like, I am the Holy Spirit. Like, you will recognize the spirit because me and the Holy Spirit are the same. So I think he's like, he will be with you and he will be in you. And he tells them that in the middle of the Lord's Supper. Like, that is so profound that he told them that in the middle of the Lord's Supper. And then he's like, hey, here, see, take this, eat this, drink this. Like, I'm going to be in you, a part of you. The Holy Spirit is going to be living in you. And I think Peter at that moment when he's walking to the Southern Steps is going, Oh my gosh, I had no idea the bigness and the power and the glory of the plan of God. And don't we hardly ever have a grip on what that might be. So let's pray about that. God, will you help us surrender to your plan, to your way, to, under, to 
relaxing into what you are doing, even when you don't understand, even when it's uncomfortable and we have to wait 10 days, even when it's not what we would have thought. Holy Spirit, will you help us to trust you? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Michelle with a couple other thoughts springing out of Acts 2. So um, let's talk about those feasts, the Jewish feasts that are kind of woven through Acts 1 and 2 um, that kind of can help us understand some more things. These are feasts that were set up by God at Sinai when he told Moses like, hey, here's what I want you to do. This, this is like the calendar that was set up for the Jews that they celebrate. And I think when I have learned the deep understanding of these feasts, I have it has really shed a whole lot of light on Jesus' story and the story of the kingdom. Just so profound. So I want to share a little bit about that with you today. Um, these are, we would call them the feasts or the appointed times is what it's called in Leviticus 23. It's the Moedim is the Hebrew word for it. And these are the special days that were set apart for the Jewish people. Okay, so let's do, let's go to history first. So in history, we know that the Jews were enslaved in Egypt and the whole thing happened with Pharaoh, let my people go, and then they got to go. So the whole, the whole Passover story happened um, and then they fled Egypt, okay? And then it takes them 50 days and they get to Mount Sinai. And that is where the law is given to Moses, where like where he gets the Ten Commandments and all of the commandments. So, you know, what we find in like Exodus 20 and following, that happens at Sinai. And so that day is called Shavuot. The day that the, they remember the giving of the law at Sinai is called Shavuot. Okay. So, and that's kind of like setting up like, hey, this is, this is what our relationship is going to look like. Here's the law, Here, here's the feast, here's the way I want to interact with you. I'm asking for your faithfulness in your heart. Um, so that day, Shavuot. All right, now I want you to fast forward this into the time of Jesus because these feasts that the Jews celebrate every year get fulfilled in the time of Christ. So with Jesus, he dies at Passover. And then there's this other little feast in there called the Feast of First Fruits, and I can't help but tell you. So the Feast of First Fruits happens on the day after the Sabbath, after Passover. So Passover is mobile on the calendar because of the moon. Somehow, don't ask me that question. But Passover is mobile a little bit. But this, this Feast of First Fruits happens the day after the Sabbath, the week of Passover. So the year that Jesus died, he, as we know, he gets arrested on Thursday and he dies on Friday. So they have Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And then Sunday morning is the Feast of First Roots this particular year. So that's, of course, when Mary and the ladies go to the temple or to the tomb and find Jesus not there. Right. So then, of course, they go running back to the disciples and they're like, Jesus isn't there. He's risen. Like he's not in in there. OK, well, what's interesting is what happens on that day is that is the day that you, it's called the Feast of First Fruits, meaning you pick the first fruits out of your garden and you bring it to the temple and the priest will wave it before the Lord and say this, he that is faithful to bring the first fruits out of the ground will be faithful to bring the rest of the harvest. 
Okay, so like it's like if he brought if he brought one little sprig of wheat out of the garden, he will be faithful to bring the rest of the harvest out of the garden. So um, it's declaring the Lord's faithfulness over what he will do through the harvest. Okay, so and I think it's also interesting that they give their first fruits to the Lord. Like I know how precious the first tomato that comes out of my husband's garden is to him. And if he was like, I'm going to bring it to the Lord and put it on the altar and give it away. That's like, that's a sacrifice. (laughs) Like he's like, he wants to eat it. But I'm like, what does that mean? When God asks us to bring our first fruits to him because they belong to him. Because he's the one that made them. He is the one that gave them to us. Hmm. Okay. So I know. So anyways, so just imagine like the ladies running through town and being like, so the te- like the ladies are running through town, the disciples are running through town and being like, he is risen. Like he was in the ground and now he's out. And the priests at the same time are saying, he that is faithful to bring the first fruits out of the ground will be faithful to bring the rest of the harvest, which kind of like, can you hear what's screaming in there? It's this like, Jesus rose out of the ground. He will be faithful to bring all of us under the ground. Jesus conquered death. He will conquer death for all of us as we trust in him. Like it is this crazy foreshadow. Okay, so... Then in the time of Jesus, we know that he hangs out with them for 40 days and then there's the 10 days of waiting and then Pentecost happens. That's Shavuot. That's the day where they are celebrating the giving of the law. So I don't know if they've picked up on this yet that like Jesus dies on Passover. Hmm. He's raised on first fruits. Hmm. Oh, we got another feast coming. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're that smart. I, I probably am not that smart until, you know until I, Gene Binder taught me all the things. So thank the Lord for wise people. So here we have the, they're celebrating the giving of the law at Sinai. And then the Holy Spirit shows up, right? So in, in harvest terms, we have the feast of first fruits, where they say he that's faithful to bring the first fruit. So then you have 50 days. Well, what happens in 50 days? Well, the wheat grows. And so this is the beginning of the harvest. When they do Shavuot, when they do Pentecost, they are celebrating the beginning of the harvest season. So they say that we had the first fruits, everything grew for 50 days, and now it is time to work. Now it is time to harvest. This is a sign. This is the day we celebrate the maturity of the wheat, of what God has done. So spiritually, I want you to translate that. So here we're going, we have Jesus died, was resurrected. And now on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. This is a sign of the maturity of the believers that he's going, this is, this is the new thing. This is here was the law. Now I'm going to infuse it with the spirit. This is the way we are going to operate now. That would not have been lost on the disciples. I go, they have been celebrating Pentecost. They've been celebrating Shavuot and the giving of the law to Moses their whole life. And now he's going and he is, he has infused that with the power of the Holy Spirit. This whole story is full of an analogy because it's meant to tell us something. God had written a very elaborate story that was meant to tell us a very big story. So I think in the church today, when we hear Pentecost, we think, oh, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Acts 2, got it. And go, do we understand the depth of the way this would have been understood? The way that the Jews would have understood this because of, they go, this is the day we celebrate the establishment of a relationship between us and God at Sinai. The way when God explained everything to Moses about how things were going to move forward, that is now now we're, we're all of a sudden receiving the Holy Spirit on that day. He's going, this is the way we're going to move forward. I am infusing you with the power of my spirit. 
and this is the way we're going to move forward. And he brought, and he's bringing it, like even the fact that it's happening on Shavuot, that it's happening on Pentecost, it's, we are bringing that story with us. So we're not meant to abandon our Jewish story. We're meant to understand it and bring it with us and let it inform how we see things. And so here we have the maturity of the wheat, the maturity of the believers being full of the Holy Spirit. And he's going, I'm launching you into harvest. I'm launching you into spiritual harvest. And then that is exactly what Peter goes to do. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, it's, it's that verse that says like, the fields are white for harvest. It just reminds me of that. Like, I wonder, did Peter think about that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Did he think about that when he was walking out to those steps? Like, he's like, the fields are ripe for harvest. And he's like, it is harvest time. Because that is what they celebrate on Shavuot. He goes, this is the maturity of the wheat. Like, it's time. And he goes, all right, if it's time, then Holy Spirit, let's do this. And so he gives this sermon. And they, they've they got to be like, oh, apparently, yeah, I guess it really was service time. <laughs> if 3,000 people were added to their number just that day. And then crazy things start to happen. And the way that they lived in unity in that and worked together as a community through that. Like, isn't that what you do during harvest time? I mean, I've never been a farmer. But I'm like, I think you work together with your neighbors and your families and you and you bring in the harvest. And I think that they must have like, think of them going to bed that night after Pentecost, like after Shavuot. <laughs> they were like, we were waiting and we were waiting and we were waiting. And then the Holy Spirit shows up on the holiday. It just got to be like, there are blinking lights going on all over the disciples. And they're like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it. And then they go outside, do the sermon, all these people meet Jesus. And then they, they start baptizing people. There's right by the Southern steps where he gave this sermon. There's all these, they're called mikvahs, which is like baptismal, like natural baptismal places that the Jews use for cleansing all the time. But then they were baptized right there. Like this just amazing and beautiful. So they must've gone to bed that night and been like, Oh yeah. The maturity of the wheat, like the kingdom is mature. The fields are ripe for harvest. We need to go and tell people the story of our Jesus so that they will know and so that they can understand and then be full of the spirit. Like this is the best gift ever. Like anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I could talk about that for three years, but you know, I'm going to go ahead and cap it. So uh, we should pray about that. Ready? Jesus, will you teach us about the depth to which your story is so profound? You wrote such an amazing, powerful story. And I pray that you'd help us understand it when we say we want to love you with our heart, our mind, soul, and strength. Lord, some of it, when I understand you with my mind, my soul and my spirit come alive in a whole new way. So God, would you enlighten our mind at the depth of your story, the story of your people that you wrote and that you gave us in um, the Bible that we could understand Help us to understand the way that you wrote this story, the way that you brought the gospel and the spirit in the midst of this Jewish connection and the story that you wrote to your, to your people. So Lord, open our eyes so we can see, enlighten our mind, enlighten our heart, and help us to love you with a depth of understanding to know how powerful and beautiful you are <clears throat> and holy and pray that holy spirit that you would rise up in us and do what only you can do both with how we understand you and what it means that we are living in that season that spiritual time of harvest show us what that means show us the fullness of what that means god open our eyes god we trust you in jesus name amen
Hey, this is Michelle with a couple more thoughts for you out of Acts 2. And I thought we should just probably talk about the Holy Spirit himself. Since, you know, Acts 2 is about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's just talk about the Holy Spirit. And I think I would just love to piggyback off of this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 1. And it says, in the NIV, it says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Um, I re- I've learned that, that that word there is actually, if you translate it straight from the Greek, it should read more like this. So now about spirituals, I don't want you to be ignorant. So spirituals, meaning the things that the Spirit does. Like the Holy Spirit's going to do things, and I don't want you to be ignorant about it. So I think that that's really good advice. Like, I don't want us to be ignorant and confused about, about the things that the Holy Spirit does. And when we get confused, we shouldn't just kind of shrug our shoulders and look away. We should go like, God, help me to understand that. Like, help me to understand these things about your, what your spirit might do that are big and important and wild and confusing. And like, God, will you help me understand that? So we don't want to be ignorant. Like Paul takes many chapters in 1 Corinthians, like 12, 13, 14, that whole chunk. And it talks a bunch about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, it was a big deal. And so I think maybe it should also be a big deal to us. Um, One thing I would love to go to is in Ephesians 4.30, it says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? I, like, what would happen if, if I was grieved? Like, if my children grieved me? Like, wh- what would that mean? I'm like, I think it would mean that they, like, broke my heart. That they hurt my feelings. That they, that they did something that grieved me. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How would we go about grieving the Holy Spirit? How would we go about hurting his feelings? I think when we ignore him or don't want to talk about the things that he does, I think that would actually hurt his feelings. Um, So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let's not ignore him. Um, What about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and following says this. Be joyful always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Oh, that's a, just a chunk of good advice. Um, look at verse 19, which says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Another translation is, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Like, what does it look like for us to live in such a way that we do not quench the Holy Spirit, that we don't put out the fire. Like if, if the Holy Spirit is a flame on a candle, that we don't put it out, that we fan that flame, that we fan the flame of the Spirit of what the Spirit is doing, even when it is maybe something we don't naturally understand, that we go, God, help us to figure that out. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. It's a command. Do not treat prophecies with con- contempt. Command. Test everything. Hold on to the good Oh, like I think that's so wise. Like, how do we go when I see something happen? If the Holy Spirit is doing something, how do I hold it in an open hand and go, God, test everything and hold on to the good. God, what are you doing? And how do we discern what God is up to through the Holy Spirit and then hang on to that which is good? And when it says avoid every kind of evil, Lord, give us wisdom about what that means that it maybe is not a super simple thing. Um, I want to look at 
a little more deeply at 1 Corinthians 12. And because I do think that there's like some division in the body of Christ about the gifts of the spirit and how things work and how they're supposed to work and different denominations land in a lot of different places. And I have had to get to a place where I was like, Holy Spirit, will you just teach me? Like, will you disciple me? You are, you're my comforter. You're my instructor. Teach me about these things. And I've asked and I've learned a lot. One of the things that I've learned is, is that first Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Like when you go to a wedding, that's what they read, right? It's like love is patient, love is kind, all the things, right? What is interesting is I would just dare you to read first Corinthians 12, which is now about spiritual brothers. I don't want you to be ignorant from right then on, it goes on through all through 12 about gifts and the body. And then it goes into love. And then it talk, the chapter of 13 is all about love. And then it goes right back into chapter 14 is about prophecy and tongues. This chapter about love is actually right smack dab in the context of the spirit. It's talking about spiritual gifts and how they are supposed to operate. And though I could talk about that for a really long time, I'll put in this little nutshell that spiritual things the way the Holy Spirit works in and through his kingdom should always look and feel and smell like love. Spiritual gifts should always feel like love. So, I mean, we know this. I think we read this all the time, but I, like, I just want to put it really in the context of the Holy Spirit. Like when he says, like, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. So he's saying, hey, love is really central. If I, have, if I do all of these amazing things, but I have not love, I gain nothing. He's like, all of these spiritual things that are happening without love are nothing because like, let's, let's just, I'm just going to translate it a second. So of course we know it says love is patient. Love is kind. Let's translate it. Spiritual, the spiritual things the Holy Spirit does are patient. They are kind. They do not envy. They do not boast. They are not proud. They are not rude. They are not self-seeking. They are not easily angered. They keep no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. These things always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Never fail. Love never fails. The way that spiritual gifts should operate in the body of Christ should look and feel like love. I have personally experienced some places where that has not been the case. And I also know, I've had to say to God, God, if I can know you better by experiencing any of these things the Holy Spirit wants to do, I want to know you. I want to know the depth of God. And so in any places where I am like bitter or hardened to a gift of the Spirit, I have to hold that in an open hand and go, God, will you teach me really how could I know you better through that? If you would choose to move with a prophecy or with a tongue or with a gift of the Spirit, God, could I know you? If I can know you better by that, I want to know you better, no matter what that looks like. Even if it feels crazy and sideways to me, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to quench the Spirit's fire. I want to be someone who goes, I am open-handed. I test everything. I hold on to the good. Like, God, show me how to follow you and know you, that I don't want to be ignorant. And when it comes out well, it will look and feel like love. So take some time and read read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 in one just solid chunk. And then go, why is the love business right in the middle of that? I think it's really, really important. So let's pray.
God, would you help us under, to understand? Holy Spirit, will you open our eyes to see you? Holy Spirit, would you teach us how to not grieve you, how to not put out your fire, how to not miss what you're doing, and how do we follow you in a way that looks and feels like love itself? God, may we be a people in the kingdom of God who live that way. Help us not to miss it. And God, we apologize for the way that we have grieved you. Holy Spirit, I am sorry for the way that I have grieved you and broken your heart. And God, I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, wherever you move, I want to go with you. I surrender again today into the flow of your spirit. I'm going to go where you're going and do what you do. So lead me in Jesus name. Amen.